millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Anoush. And I'm Alpha. Stephen's on holiday. And on today's New Statesman podcast, we discuss the new social care plans. And you ask us... Why isn't Labour calling for a wealth tax? So Boris Johnson has set out his plan for funding health and social care for the next three years. It's going to be a 1.25 percentage point rise in national insurance to raise £36 billion of investment. The majority of this is going to be spent on the NHS and trying to clear the backlog, first of all, with the remainder funding a care cap of £86,000. So that's the amount, the maximum amount a person will pay for their care in their lifetime and the remainder going on improving the social care system. So it's thrown up a lot of questions and we're recording on the day that there is a vote on this tax rise tonight in Parliament. So we won't speak about what the result of that could be, but it appears from where we're sitting now that the the rebellion that was expected from Tory MPs doesn't look like it will be as big as first thought. And Alva, you've been asking around about this. What, why are they suddenly so well behaved? Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if part of it was actually that, I mean, we're recording the you know, first week back of Parliament. There was a real back to school feeling, I think, in Westminster with suddenly no social distancing in the chamber. Lots of MPs, staff, members are back in Parliament for the first time. Everyone's been quite excited, I think. And I think maybe the journalists have been a bit excited too, myself <laughs> included, which means that I think that everyone got in you know, in a bit of a tizzy, thinking that there might be a huge rebellion over this national insurance hike, which just doesn't look like it is likely to come to pass at all. As you say, we are recording before the vote. There was this sense that there was a storm brewing before Parliament returned and Boris Johnson was going to return on Monday to a huge row. And we saw, you know, former Conservative chancellors speaking out about the national insurance rise. Jake Berry, the MP who's chair of the Northern Research Group, group was sort of leading the charge and there were lots of hints from other Tories in the press in little comments that they made tweets and so on that there would be quite a strong feeling against it also lots of cabinet members briefing that none of them were were supportive of it and then none of that has really happened so I was speaking to someone one of the people who laid one of those hints that's not really revealing who they are because there were so many people <laughs> indicating that they weren't happy about it but one of those people I was speaking to is not planning on rebelling tonight 
And it was interesting to hear their reasoning. I think the number one thing is reading between the lines. It's just sort of Tory unity and, and a feeling that this is a flagship policy. And so it's an important one to rally around the prime minister on, that it's not so, something sort of incidental, but this is going to be quite major. So they need to pull together. I think it's revealing that they said that first before their other reasons. But the second one was just that they think as a constituency MP that it's difficult to be asking for more money for their local NHS if they have voted against this mechanism to secure more funding for the NHS because I suppose in the internal politics of the Tory party they're all fighting against each other to you know secure funding for the levelling up fund for the towns fund the new hospitals that are going to be built they're kind of all in competition with each other and so I think that that argument has maybe been put to Tory MPs or they've arrived at that conclusion themselves that they weaken their negotiating position maybe if they don't support this levy but then want more funding for their local hospital. But then actually the third thing is I suppose that we were seeing the worst of this policy because I think the problem so often with things like this is it was taking a while to finalise the arrangement. There was sort of internal wrangling between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid over the weekend which meant that the critics got out ahead of the story and were condemning it before things were finalised. And at that point, there wasn't really anyone from the government making the the positive case for, for this levy because they hadn't decided it exactly. So basically, I think that a lot of Tory MPs just feel like it's better than, than they were expecting for a number of reasons. So... I think that the way pensioners will eventually be also, pensioners who are working will also be contributing, slightly lessens the blow and like slightly dampens the criticism that this will fall massively on young people. It still kind of will, but less so than as was foreseen. Also, the dividend tax, I think, again, the way that will fall differently, it slightly mitigates this sense that this is all disproportionately falling on younger people and on working age people. That said, I don't think that there's actually that much enthusiasm for it still. No one's really making the case for this as a great solution. But also then I think the final thing that has really swayed Tory MPs is the IFS, Institute for Fiscal Studies analysis of it, which looking at it is actually not that positive. You know, they, they talk about it as disappointing that the government didn't find a better package of tax measures to fund these spending increases. But there's this phrase where the IFS has said that overall, I'm quoting from their initial remarks, overall much needed reforms to social care are being introduced and unavoidable pressures on the NHS are being funded through a broad-based and broadly progressive tax increase. So I've heard a few Tory MPs quoting this line from the IFS that it's broadly progressive and you know and really they're saying oh well you know well the IFS says that it's a broadly progressive tax increase so I suppose you know that's it so it's it's a combination of all of these basically this sort of feeling that they can't go against a government flagship policy that they weaken their negotiating hand looking for local NHS funding and also that this policy is not as bad as they initially thought that I think means that we're not going to see the big rebellion that excited journalists were maybe hoping for. That's so interesting because I suppose what 
it's been is very politically clever because the announcement of this policy almost worked like a budget day. I don't know if you felt mm. like that covering it. But yeah. There was the press conference, you know, there was the announcement in the Commons, there was briefing beforehand, but not all of the sort of nice little gems that allow Tory MPs to then back it who didn't really want to rebel but weren't a fan of the idea like you just laid out the dividends tax which people weren't expecting as well as bringing working pensioners into paying that particular levy that they're introducing so all of those things plus the IFS's analysis which I agree with you was if you read the the whole thing is not positive really at, at all but it gives them you know something to say when journalists like us bring them up and ask how they feel about it or they're asked you know on the media rounds it gives them a reason to support it even if the burden of tax is going to increase for their constituents why I say it's politically clever is because actually we dug into some of the numbers one of our data journalists Kath Swindles who's who's excellent and me were looking into them yesterday and actually the idea that this is progressive is a little bit misleading. So the levy will initially be rolled into national insurance, which has a 50 grand threshold. So the vast majority of the population earn between 10 and 50 grand. So they'll pay an increasing percentage on their wages, but those earning above that won't pay as much. So the highest earners have, there's less of an impact on the highest earners. And as well as that, we found that people in the south of England who do tend to have higher incomes will see less of a hit to their disposable income than people in the northern regions. So we've done a map of that impact that listeners can go and have a look at because I can't really bring it to life so much on the podcast. And then there's another there's another interesting angle to all of this, which is the idea that this is the young spending for the old is is more complicated than that. Sorry, I didn't put that very well. No, no, that's really interesting because <laughs> that is basically the way we have we have been framing the criticism of it. So I suppose the perception is that this is going to be younger people who will never be able to afford their own homes paying above the odds for older people and also other adults in social care to not have to sell their homes to pay for care. But then that's it's more complicated than that. Exactly. So that's one of been been one of the main criticisms and you've had that from, you know, conservatives and from other opposition parties as well. But actually it's it's not it's not as straightforward as that because almost half of the adult social care budget is on under sixty five. So people of working age who need ongoing care, either for disabilities or or chronic illnesses. Most of the budget goes on people with learning disabilities. And that proportion of people is growing. So in the past five years, the number of working age adults requesting social care support increased by 12%, whereas the number of 65 and overs in the same period who were requesting that support was 4.6%. So actually, it's rising among working age people faster than older people. So some of the criticism of this policy has been misplaced. But nevertheless, the policy is not progressive in the way that Boris Johnson was framing it. And equally, you know, (laughs) this spending, because most of it is going on the NHS, is probably not going to be enough. And there will probably have to be another source of funding for social care down the line after this three years of investment pans out. Whether or not they want to raise taxes again, you know, they haven't ruled it out or borrow more. There is something, something is going to be needed because social care spending has only just risen above its 2010 level. And if you think about 
what's happened in over a decade in terms of the ageing population and the rising demand of working age people for care. The demand has been rising and squeezing councils. So this is the reality of, of the policy. And there's there's very little information about how they're actually going to improve social care itself. Mm. So we know that people who work in social care, you know, there's such a high turnover, they're not paid well, the working conditions are bad, which has an impact on the quality of the care, which is already in itself stretched and, you know, to the people who have to pay for it themselves overpriced. And so there doesn't seem to be much of a plan for that. And in terms of prioritising the NHS, I get it in terms of the waiting list is sort of at a record level. And we've we've written about that and reported on the on the devastating impact that can have on people's treatment. But fixing social care would take a huge amount of pressure off the NHS itself because a lot of people who are in hospital or using hospital services should really be in care settings. So I think there's a lot of politics at play here which has successfully masked the myriad problems with this policy. But I have to hand it to Boris Johnson. You know, this is something that successive governments have really struggled to tackle. And he's managed so far, I mean, it could all unravel, but he's managed so far to do that and you know, whatever you think of the policy, it is good that there has been sort of a beginning of the conversation on how on earth you can pay for this rising sort of crisis. This is the thing that fascinates me, though, exactly as you put it, that it's really, really possible, I think, that this money will just never go towards social care. If it's, you know, if it's due to go towards the NHS for the next few years to sort of address the the backlogs at the moment... I just think with spiralling costs in the NHS, it's really possible that this won't be properly allocated to social care. And there isn't that wider, you know, solution of the myriad problems around adult social care in terms of, you know, what do you do about unpaid carers? I mean, you've reported on this so extensively, but there's so many issues with it that go beyond sort of narrow funding, but just in terms of recruitment and all the sort of structures around it. And... I think the thing that puzzles me slightly is the way I wonder if Boris Johnson is expending the political capital or the get out of jail free card that you can use on this issue where you can say, hey, it's not popular, but, you know, other previous governments have ducked this. It's tricky, but we're actually doing it. And then the public thinks, well, fair enough, because we want this sorted. But if you're making that case to justify what seems to me more just like a straight national insurance hike to fund the NHS without addressing the structural issues with social care, then surely it will just be more difficult down the line or it'll be shunted onto another government to then do this again and say, well, you know, successive governments, including the government that claimed it was fixing this, haven't fixed this, so here we go again. And I just wonder, the political calculation there is very interesting because whenever I speak to any conservative in government, anyone in the government as opposed to on the back benches, I think they're, they're quite confident of winning the, the next election. It's obviously you know far out but that's I think the assumption that they'll get another term and so why why shunt this off or you know why only partially address the issue I think that would make sense if you thought that Labour were going to be in government really soon and you could pass the buck on to them but it just it doesn't really make sense to me it makes sense to me in the short term but the longer term thing I'm I'm more puzzled by. Yeah I think that's a really good question because the 
I, I would say Boris Johnson at the moment is playing what I've decided to call the COVID card, where he said, you know, I think he said in the Commons, no one had a pandemic on their manifesto. So, you know, I've got to break my manifesto promise of not raising taxes to to pay for this. And the public is broadly sympathetic to that. And we've seen throughout the crisis that, you know, anything that happens because of COVID, there's a certain level of, you know, understanding lent to the government for things like that. So I was looking into how sentiment has changed in terms of welfare claimants. And it hasn't really changed other than if you need to claim because of COVID-19, in which case people are more forgiving of people who have had to do that because of the pandemic. And otherwise, you know, the, the attitudes, negative attitudes haven't really shifted. So I think he's he's cleverly played the COVID card. He knows that that sort of level of patience and understanding from the public is there. So while the policy might not be ideal for people, the idea of paying more taxes is never popular. They will understand that. Having said that, like you said, the political problem is just shunted down the line. Because if you're telling people, I've introduced this tax hike and I'm spending all of these this unprecedented money on the NHS and social care... By the time of the election, and if it's going to be in 2023, are we really going to see an improvement in the NHS and social care by that point? Probably not, because the social care funding doesn't even kick in until 2023. And so it is a bit of a risk, because if you're telling, if you're expending all the political capital now, like you put it, then you're not going to have any left to use when the re- rewards aren't immediately clear by the time of that election. That's a political risk, which shows, I think, what you were saying, that they are confident that they will be in the position to win the next election regardless. But we'll see, you know, the state of hospitals, the state of people's care. If that doesn't improve and people have less money in their pockets by 2023, that could be a huge political problem for them. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. Don't forget, you can now listen to our special Germany Lex podcast series, which explores the campaign, the runners and riders, and the big issues ahead of Germany's election on September 26th. Available now on the World Review podcast feed and at newstatesman.com slash Germany. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. So the question today is, what is stopping Labour from using the line tax wealth, not work in response to government tax plans for social care? So I think this question is alluding to the fact that there have been a number of Labour figures who have been speaking out about how to tax 
people to pay for social care in a fairer way. You know, across the spectrum, you have your Richard Bergens advocating for a wealth tax, and then you have Margaret Hodge, who stood up in the Commons and talked about capital gains tax and equalising that with income tax. All of these would sort of be a way of taxing people's wealth rather than income um, in a way to try and make the costs fall on the, the broadest shoulders. But it's not a Labour Party policy, is it? They haven't come out with their own proposal, their own alternative plan for funding social care. Something's holding them back from, from that. And while Liz Kendall is, I think, really across her brief and has been scrutinising sort of care policy throughout the pandemic incredibly well, it was a shame that she wasn't really armed with her own alternative when she was doing the media rounds ahead of this particular policy announcement. She didn't really have much that she could give other than a critique of the government's plans, which always inevitably leads to the question, well, what would Labour do otherwise? And, you know, Boris Johnson made a point of that in PMQs. Mm. So I'd be interested to hear what you think about Labour's response. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Andy Burnham has been one of these people. I just feel like he pops up for fun sometimes to sort of (laughs) gently demonstrate what he would be doing differently. He's done quite a bit of media over the past few days because obviously as health secretary, he tried to tackle this with the so-called death tax. And he's been out on doing media rounds, basically just still making the case for the death tax. He's And he calls it that himself, you know, in a sort of, oh, well, you might call it a death tax, but I think, and then he makes the case for it. But I think that that's quite interesting because he communicates the case for it, I think, quite persuasively. And the thing that we saw at PMQs was actually that Keir Starmer's first question, which I think was a good first question, was can you guarantee that no one will have to sell their home to pay for care? And Boris Johnson can't guarantee that. So, I mean, we've said on this podcast before, I think that that's a concern that comes up on doorsteps more than I had ever expected when I became a political journalist in 2019. I was very, very struck that that was a a real recurring theme on doorsteps wherever you went in the country. And there's no guarantee of that, and it just won't take that long, I think, before, I suppose, there's the odd piece in The Sun or The Daily Mail or The Guardian or wherever, or, you know, in our own reporting at the NS, with some quite sad stories about people selling their homes to pay for their care, despite the government sort of promise, not quite promise, not to. And so, yeah, Andy Burnham making the case that a 10% levy on everyone's estate when they pass away might seem heavy-handed, but is actually a fairer way of guaranteeing that everyone will keep 90% of their estate and no one will lose everything. I think, you know, he puts it quite well. I think he's just, I don't know, this is my own personal view that he's maybe just being a little bit of a thorn in Keir Starmer's side on that one, just to show how it could be done. And actually that, you know, work went into this under Labour decades ago. There's an idea there. And as you say, other people within Labour have lots of very considered opinions on it. But I suppose, I mean, we've talked before, if Stephen was here, he'd be talking about, you know, how Labour should, you know, be going for more of a vibe and fewer policies. And would mention that they had 200 policies or something within the past year. But I think on this one, people, I would imagine, would be shouting at their television saying well, what's your plan? You don't have one. And yeah, so it has been, I think, weaker. But I also think that the politics of it are tricky because you could see at PMQs that there is 
a precedent, um, a labour precedent for increasing national insurance to pay for the NHS because Gordon Brown did it in 2002 in that budget. And no one at that point was saying that it wasn't a progressive tax and that it unfairly hit working families, except Ian Duncan Smith. (laughs) So it means that, you know, Boris Johnson was dragging up comments from the SNP in support of that old budget, comments from from Labour. And then, I mean, Keir Starmer had, had quite a strong response in terms of also highlighting Boris Johnson's historical opposition to national insurance rises. But I think that it just means that the politics of it is quite muddled because every party has at some stage said the opposite of what they're currently arguing. And I'm sure Labour are really aware of that, that actually there's a little bit of inconsistency there. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we've been covering social care policy and its flaws and its pressures for such a long time at the New Statesman. And what's interesting is that we've done some recent polling on attitudes towards it and the appetite for the status quo of how social care is provided to change is so high. It was 79% of people said they wanted a new way for it to be funded. And putting taxes up to fund it was, you know, a popular option in that polling. And so I do agree with you that I think that when people watch these debates, I mean, they won't really be watching the debates, but if they hear snippets on the news, then they their response will be, well, what would your alternative be? Because something has to change. And I think Boris Johnson is kind of dining out on over a decade of his own party being in power and not changing it and putting ever more pressure on council budgets as the cost of social care grows. He's dining out on the fact, you know, his party didn't do anything about it. And now he can say, well, something has to change. What would you do yourselves to to the Labour Party? So I think you're right. There is a a political risk, even though I know, you know, there's 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 an empty microphone sitting here beside us and where Stephen should be. And I think he'd probably be saying Labour doesn't need its own social care policy to create critique the Conservatives' plans. So maybe that means that their criticism needs to to be stronger. But I think it's just a sign that I think Boris Johnson has returned from the summer emboldened. I think that his performance at Prime Minister's Questions was very strong. Uh, Sometimes there are points where he gets the MP he's responding to a little bit wrong or he gets the tone wrong and he didn't he didn't mess any of that up I thought it was it was just very very confident very smooth and he's kind of maybe even been strengthened by the fact that there were questions over rebellion which don't seem to be as big as we were maybe expecting and there was there was a great line on Newsnight last night some I think conservative cabinet member said to Nick Watt, the Newsnight political editor, that they they described Boris Johnson as a god. (laughs) And they Mm -hmm. said, and they said, this man could sell ice to the Eskimos. I think we, we are kind of seeing quite a lot of political skill from Boris Johnson at the moment. And I'm not sure if Keir Starmer has come back from the summer quite as strongly. Mm. That said, I do think that some of the more reluctant conservative support, or, you know, at least non-vocal criticism of this policy and the vote tonight we'll see what happens is quite shallow and and quite delicate and I think it could depending on how their constituents react it could change and that's something that Keir Starmer 
would also have the opportunity to exploit in future. You know, I heard from one conservative source who's knows a lot about local government and, you know, really understands how social care works and is very cynical about all this stuff, saying that he's absolutely fuming about the policy and sort of really disappointed that there doesn't seem to be more of a swell of, of rebellion among his colleagues. I don't think he'll be alone among politicians of his credentials. And I think if constituents start to realise what it means for their household budgets and how their local hospital looks and or how, you know, the care home where one of their relatives is in looks doesn't change over the next three years, then it could be a really big opportunity for Labour still. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleague Alva Ray. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and please subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.